Alrighty, let's go ahead and get started. If you want to go ahead and you can open up to Job chapter 1. We're going to take up at verse 13 where we left off uh, last week. Job chapter 1 verse 13. Uh, last week we kind of talked about the introduction to the book. A little bit about um, what it's about and why it was written. Um, it's not a narrative, right? It's poems about a true story, right? So that, though, that poetic language is going to come up again tonight. It's going to come up pretty much every time we study this book. Because even though there are just straight narrative parts of the book, uh, it, it's a poetic book. And all of the conversations between Job and his friends are styled in poetry, and that's perfectly fine. You know, last week I told you the, the joke about the, the uh, song, um, The Sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald, the, the nerdy song that I love listening to. It's a true story in a song form, whoa. Um, and that's kind of what Job is. It's a true story. It actually happened, um, at least to the best of our knowledge it happened, because it looks like it's a true story, because you have real names, you have uh, real, uh, at least, places mentioned, like the land of, well, first off, where was Job from? The land of what? Not the land of Oz, or the land of Ur, Uz. So look at verse, um, verse number one. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. So it has real names, real locations. Uh, it's got... Just the air of, of a genuine story, okay? So, the book of Job. What was the reason for the book's writing? Does anybody remember? It wasn't to, I mean, Job doesn't know what's going on while this is happening, right? Job doesn't have, Job doesn't get any of the answers, if you want to call them answers, that we got. Uh, we have the whole picture, we can see the whole picture, Job didn't have the book of Job while it's going on for him. And so it's not written for Job. It's not like, say, the book of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah is writing it as it's happening, and he writes narrative passages, and he writes the sermons. It's not like that. It's, happened, it's written after the fact, um, and it could be a very long time after the fact. We don't know how long this, this story was passed down and so forth. It was written after the fact for Prosperity, right? It's not written for the person who's in it. It's written for the people who come after him. And the people who come after him are going to see a book that has some pretty tough problems in it when you're talking about religion, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. So Job chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, I'm going to read this section since it, since it is kind of long, um, just so we can get the picture of what happens to Job. Everybody knows that... Everything's taken away from him. But unless you're reading the text, um, you kind of forget what all happened. So verse 13 of chapter 1. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job that said, The oxen were plowing and donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck, them da struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped 
to tell you. Now, the fire of God, keep in mind, this book causes some pretty tough questions about what is God doing, why is God allowing this, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But the fire of God is just the way that they would say lightning, okay? Anything that was majestic, anything that, you know, that, that, was, that was obviously done or created or an extension of the power of God, they would call it the blank of God. So if you had a bunch of mountains, you would probably call it the mountains of God. Well, God owns all the mountains, right? So those aren't specific. It's just this is the fire of God. It's lightning, okay? So the lightning came down fell from heaven, burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 17. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups, made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people. And they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job rose and tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all the, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God, with wrong. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. Why does Satan have to present himself before the Lord? Why, why does Satan have to come before God Almighty at the time when all of the other angels came before him? Yeah, Satan's a creative being. But he's rebellious, right? He's rebellious, right? So what? Because he's because God is sovereign, he has to he has to answer to the Almighty, right? So even in all of this, even in the storyline of Job and in the sufferings of Job and so forth, Satan is still not just given free reign, right? Now, keep in mind that Remember the imagery of the Revelation? In the Revelation, Satan, the, the, the demon, the beast, of course, it's not actually literally Satan, right? Revelation is figurative. But what happens to the beast? What is the beast allowed to do in the book of Revelation? Just do whatever, right? He doesn't, doesn't seem like he's answering to God like Satan is, the adversary in Job 1. Why is that? I have no clue. Okay, Probably because the book of Revelation is figurative and it's talking about emotions, which is what the book of Job is about a lot. But, I mean, Revelation is... If you're, just, if you're in the middle of what's going on to Job, um, does it feel like, you know, of course, understanding that Job didn't know what was going on. We have a pretty good idea that if something like this is happening to us, we'll talk about why here in a minute. But if something like this is happening to us, we understand, having the book of Job, that it's not God that hates us, right? It's most likely sin and Satan doing what he does best, right? Um, it's going to feel like 
that Satan just do whatever, right? If you, if you think about Satan today, we talked about last week, um, Satan is often seen as being all-powerful and everywhere, right? Well, you have to be careful because Satan is everywhere all over the world, right? That's true. However, is Satan everywhere? His influence is, right? Is he all-powerful? No, but he's very good at tricking the will of man to get to us to do what he wants them, us to do, right? He's not all that intelligent, but he's pretty tricky. Um, and I say he's not intelligent because he's fighting a battle that he's already lost. Um, but he is pretty tricky. He, he, he knows what he's doing, and he does it very well, right? Go ahead. Except. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's true. He is powerful. In fact, in this chapter, in Job 1 and Job 2, who sends the lightning? Satan. Who causes the Chaldeans to come down and take all the camels? Satan. He's powerful enough to influence. Remember, who are the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans? Those are groups of people, right? You may not know where they are. But yeah, they're two warrior nations, especially the Chaldeans. Why they split up in great raids of three and came and raided all the camels and took all the camels and killed all the, the people. They're warrior nations, but they're humans, right? They're moral, free will, moral agents. They make decisions for themselves. And yet, Satan has the influence to send them in whenever he wants. Why? Because he, that's what he does best, is influence the minds of people to get us to do what he wants us to do. Through his influence and through his, his as Ephesians 6 says, the fiery darts, the, the wiles, right? All right, Ray, and I'll get you. Right, yeah, if, if, if someone loses, most of the time it loses someone who's very close to you, right? It's true, it's true, it's true. And y'all have heard me say, God doesn't send these things on us. However, let's read the rest of this section because in this section is where it's going to cause us to, to ask these hard questions. Or right, I'll get you in just one second. All right, so Job chapter 2, verse number 2. And Satan said, or, and the Lord said to Satan, <clears throat> From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. Same thing he said last time. Why is God asking these? You know, God doesn't ask questions to get clarifications, right? He knows where Satan's been. He's doing it to... to I don't know. Okay, this is just me surmising here. Why did God ask Adam and Eve, where are you? He wanted them to recognize where they were so that they would repent, right? So that they would understand and repent. This is, maybe, maybe we can talk about this later and maybe you can ask your quest, yourself this question. Is God, does God keep asking Satan where have you been to maybe try to get Satan to realize what he's doing? 
I, I, don't, I don't know. But to me, the fact that he asks it twice, uh, and in Hebrew, it's called Hebrew parallelism. If a Hebrew person says something twice, it's because he really means it. Okay? So, maybe. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a realization on others' parts instead of on Satan's. That's true. All right, so, verse number three. The Lord said to Satan, How have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast to his integrity, although you have incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Satan incited God to destroy Job. See, there's that hard question again. God doesn't send it. But God says, you've incited me against him to allow you to do this. Mainly because God is trying to put Satan in his place more than anything. He's not punishing Job. He's not upset at Job. He's not, well, he kind of gets upset at Job at the end of the book, right? When Job starts asking all these questions. Um, But he's doing it to put Satan in his place. Verse number four, then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. Skin for skin means, um, it's the idea of that eye, an eye for an eye. Why do people break laws? Yeah. I mean, okay, for instance, say you're in Texas, just because that's a state that everybody talks about in the death penalty. I know Georgia has death penalty too, but Texas is the one that everybody jokes about. All right, so you're in Texas. You know what happens if you commit murder, right? Why do people still commit murder in Texas? They're not thinking. They think they can get away from it, right? You know, I mean, you know, when, when a person walks into, say, Walmart, they know. Every move is watched, right? The, the cameras, the loss prevention personnel, um, they know that they're being watched. Why do they still try to shoplift? An eye for an eye, what Satan is saying here is, even though people know the consequences, they'll still break the law. Why? Because they're still alive. He's not saying Job has sinned, that he has broken any laws or anything like that. What he's saying is, mankind can make it through just about everything as long as they're okay. You know? Have you all ever heard the thing, well, you know, I lost my job and I did this and this happened and this happened and this happened, but I've still got my health. Right? That's what Satan is saying. He's still got his health. I can't break him because you still aren't letting me, you still aren't letting me to what's really going to break his spirit, right? Yeah, equal punishment. That's what he's saying. People, even though they know, even though they know that they're going to be punished, if they steal something and in the Old Testament you steal something, what happens to you? And you pay tenfold what you stole, right? I like dogs. I won't kill you, dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so what, what Satan's saying is people break laws even though they know the consequences because they've still got their health. Well, now what Satan's doing is, is questioning him again. Remember, Satan's name means what? The adversary or the 
accuser, the accuser, right? He's accusing God of being unjust, unrighteous. All right, so verse 5, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores. There again, showing the power of him, right? He, he has the ability somehow to strike him with loathsome sores, um, boils and things, from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. He had hand, foot, and mouth disease. Um, not really. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. This sitting in the ashes is um, it's a sign of mourning, verse number 12. Because he's lost his family, except his wife. But it also was kind of a medicine they used, right? If you had, if you had sores, you'd put potash on it. Or, you know, some sort of hardwood ash. And it would try to dry it up a little bit. So it's, it's kind of dual nature here. And he's taking this, the, the pottery and scraping himself. Um, it's, not a picture, it's not a picture we like to think about, but... If you get burned very badly, what happens? The skin needs to be scraped so new skin can be produced, right? So, uh, and that's just interesting to me that in this, well, we'll talk about that here in a second. All right, so verse number nine. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? This exact same phrase that God said in verse number three. God says he still holds fast his integrity. And his wife says, are you still holding fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said, are you speak as one of the foolish women who speak? Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Everyone has always heard throughout the entire book of Job, Job never sinned. Can you repent of something that you haven't done? Okay, this is a pet peeve of mine. Y'all ever, don't raise your hand if you've prayed it, but have y'all ever heard the prayer like this? Father, forgive us for the sins that we don't know we committed. Y'all ever heard that? How, why are we repenting of sins if we don't? What, later on in this book, Job is going to say, I can't repent because I don't think I've sinned. I can't, his, his, his friends keep saying, you're obviously not as righteous as you thought you were, Job. You need to repent. And Job says, I'm not going to repent because I don't believe I've sinned. And if I repent, I'm calling myself a liar or God a liar one, and I'm not willing to do either one. Job, at the end of this book, does repent. Now, that statement, well, everything that Job went through, he didn't sin. That's true. Up until chapter 2, when his friends come, and he starts asking all these questions, and he starts doubting God. Never outright says it, right? He never just comes out and says, I don't think that God's here anymore. Um, he says, well, we'll talk about this in a, in a few weeks, but he says things like, I know he's just, I know he's righteous, I know he's here for me, but I wish that I had an, advers- I wish I had an advocate. I wish I had a lawyer to go talk to him. I don't think he's wrong, and I don't think I'm wrong, but I wish I had somebody to go between us, Right? And he's talking, um, not specifically about Christ, because he didn't know about the Christ yet. But he wanted someone to talk to God for him. So, up until this point, Job has not sinned. Now, let's, answer, let's ask these tough questions, okay? Why is God, number one, allowing this to happen? Number two, 
Why does it seem as though God is causing this to happen? I mean, he says, he says, you have incited me to, to how, does he, how does he word it? Verse number three of chapter two. Incited me, uh, yeah, against him to destroy him without reason. You, Satan, the, the adversary, the, the um, accuser, incited God to act out against Job. Why does it seem like God did this? So, I just got a couple passages I want, to, I want us to turn to and look at tonight. Somebody open up to Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Genesis 2, 17. One of the reasons why I like studying the book of Job is not because of the narrative. It adds relatively nothing to the narrative of the Old Testament. We don't know when it happened. It has nothing about priests. It has nothing about people that we read about anywhere else in the, in the Bible except for mentioning Job a couple of times. It adds nothing to the overall narrative of the Old Testament. However, it makes us ask these hard questions. It makes us dig a little deeper into the, 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 the theology of the Old Testament. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. All right, so the words surely die. The word die is a violent, physical death. Uh, everyone says, well, no, they died spiritually. No, God said, if you eat of the tree, you will die physically. Why did they not die physically? God promised it. Why did it not happen? It started at that instance, right? But... Chapter 3, verse 21, And the Lord God made, from Ad, made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. It was the first sacrifice. The Day of Atonement did what? Every year, the high priest, we talked about it on, uh, in the Romans class last Sunday afternoon, the high priest goes into the uh, Holy of Holies and he sprinkles blood on the altar to do what? Not to remove it, but to roll it forward a year, right? God promised them they would die physically. He postponed the dying physically through the animals that he sacrificed to make them clothes. And then eventually that would, that would keep happening until the law of Moses was established and Yom Kippur would happen and the, the sacrifice would continue once a year until Jesus took the punishment for sins. That's why Corinthians calls him the second Adam. He died, he died the physical death that God promised Adam on at the creation. Right. Yeah, the issue with that is, how did Adam die? Old age. Old age, right? Methuselah died old age. Um, but Genesis 2.17 says you are going to die a, a, a violent, physical, 
yeah, kind of punishment type death. Now, when Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper, he says, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed, the word is, a violent physical death for the remission of sins. That, that sin was rolled back continually until Jesus died, and then it was wiped out. See, when God says, you're going to die, and he kills those animals, it pushes it forward. But the reason we went to that verse is sin always has some sort of suffering attached to it. Um, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Sorry, yeah, chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Sin always has some sort of, of suffering, some sort of, of problem attached with it. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell on the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. All right, so every time God says, every time God makes a law, or any time God, you know, makes a command, there's always the implication that if you break it, what's ha- what happens? Some sort of suffering, right? Some sort of suffering, if, it, if it's eternal suffering, or if it's physical suffering. Can you think of some times... When, um, when sin would cause physical suffering to you, specifically to you. Your sin causes suffering to you. Sorry. <laughs> Your sin causes physical sufferings to you. What are some times that that might happen? You're alcoholic, right? It's a problem, right. Um, Cirrhosis is a real issue. Do what? Right, right. Um, it, you know, alcoholism, drug use, that, that's always the usual thing that everybody thinks about, right? Because that's the ones that have physical. But even then, do you know how many people, the, the likelihood of someone, the likelihood of someone being hurt or dying, or going to jail, which is not fun. Uh, it's not as rough as I think it should be, but it's definitely not fun. Um, <laughs> that's why I can't be president. Um, but there, there's always some sort of physical suffering for us. Now, are there sins that may cause suffering for other people? You harm someone else? Yeah, exactly. You, you harm someone else or you, you make someone grieve because of your actions, right? Because you've, you've died or something even worse. 
Yeah. Satan, Satan had that, and we have that choice now. Keeping in mind. Well, keep in mind, though, that Deuteronomy says what? What we just read. Choose between life and death. Right? Yeah, that choice has always been there. Right. They didn't, they didn't know what was coming. They, they, they just... Exactly. Well, Deuteronomy says with his, with his laws to some degree, right? So, all right, so God always puts suffering with sin. That's, that's always there. Job, on the other hand, has not sinned. And no one around him seems like he's sinned. Because, go back to Job chapter 1 again. Job chapter 1, um, verse number 4. All right, so, if this happens in the patriarchal system, when, before Moses comes, when the head of the household is the, the priest for that family, right? The priest offers sacrifice for you to roll your sins back, right? So you don't do it yourself. The priest does it, and the priest is the head of that household. Job chapter 1, verse 5. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them and would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Job hasn't sinned. His, his children have no sins accounted to them at this point because they've been rolled forward by the sacrifices that Job has been committing. So... Why, then, does suffering happen? Um, Not all suffering is bad. It seems bad, but it's not all bad. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul recounts some of the things that happened to him. Can you think of some of those things? Stoning, he was whipped, beaten with the rod, right? Shipwrecked, imprisoned. Doesn't mention it in 2 Corinthians 11, but he got bit by a snake. Uh, that's, uh, that's pretty bad in my opinion. Um, I don't care if it is poisonous. Or isn't poisonous. Um, what are some other things? He's been robbed. He lost his family. Lost all his friends. He's been falsely accused. All of these things that happens. Is Paul's life kind of filled with suffering? Yet, it wasn't bad suffering, was it? What was the point for Paul's suffering? Humility, God's glory, and so that 2,000 years later, a bunch of Christians in Columbus, Georgia, could open up 2 Corinthians and say, hey, I'm going to be okay, right? So not all suffering is bad. It seems bad, and, and I know that there is suffering in this world that is horrible. The, the lack of fresh water, um, the, uh, the plague. Is the plague still going on, by the way? Good. Okay. I kind of forgot to check up on the plague, the whole plague issue. Um, but, uh, yeah, he didn't forget. I'm sure he was watching YouTube and Google and Yahoo News and everything else trying to figure out if it's coming. Um, not all suffering is necessarily bad. What does Job get out of this suffering? Strength. And double what he had before. There we go. 
Doesn't get any answers, but he figured it out, didn't he? Sometimes you don't have to get answers to figure stuff out. Um, Job's suffering was twofold. Number one, it's to put Satan in his place. Number two, it's because Job made it through it. I mean, the, the end of the story, like I said last week, a lot of people just focus on the first two chapters. In fact, I, I was listening to a, a Bible study and the preacher asked how many chapters are in the book of Job. And like nobody got it. Because you only hear about four chapters, right? Chapters one and two. And then chapter 40 and 42. Because one and two is when all the bad stuff happens. 40 is when he talks about the dinosaurs. And then 42 is when he talks about he got everything else that he needed, right? He got all the stuff replenished to him. You only hear about four chapters. That's sad in some degree, but, but the reason why the book of Job ends like that, with no answers, but with kind of hope. I mean, think about the New Testament. What does it end with? What does the New Testament end with? Revelation, that essentially it doesn't give very many answers, right? Exactly. It doesn't give very many answers, though, right? I mean, it, it says, essentially, it's going to get really bad. But don't worry, because it's, it's going to get better at the end. The book of Job is just kind of the, the whole New Testament in a nutshell, right? It starts with suffering. What does the New Testament start with? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, suffering. Jesus dies, right? It's got a bunch of interactions between people. Acts, Romans, through Jude. And then it ends with, Everything's going to be okay. We don't really know how this is going to work, but it'll be okay. Uh, that's just, that's not, don't read too much into that. That's just an interesting little um, observation that people have made. That wasn't, at least in my opinion, that wasn't some kind of, you know, provid, some, some kind of miracle that, that God made the book of Job out to be the New Testament. Um, people could read too much into that sometimes, but go ahead. That's a Chinese restaurant down on Macon Road, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I mean, 
like I said, Satan is fighting a battle that he's already lost. However, he's very good at making himself think he's doing really good at that battle. So, um, now, this is kind of going back to what we talked about last quarter, and I just want to hit on this real quick before we end, but... If the, if the Bible were a fraud, if the Bible were written as a piece of literature, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been written like this. In fact, the book of Job is hated among literature. If you go and, um, you know, col- colleges are now teaching the Bible as literature. Um, that's a course, and you can study the literature of the, of, the, of the scriptures. They don't like the book of Job because the, the end. Because it, you know, it would be so much stronger if it just just left you without any answers whatsoever and all that. But just think about it. If the Bible is fake, it's going to shy away from the suffering. If you're at, well, this week, um, I can use this because it made me happy. Uh, if you're at a gathering, like what we were talking about before, Bible study started, what chances are, what are you going to talk about anywhere close to the state of Alabama this week? Football, right? Roll Tide. All right, so you're going to talk about football, right? What if, what if I just walked up to, you know, you're talking about Jalen Hurts got taken out of the game, I feel really bad for him, blah, 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 blah. and I walked up and said, I want to tell you how my grandfather died. That kind of killed the mood a little bit. A whole lot, right? We don't talk about death. In fact, when someone dies, what do we call it? He passed away. You know why we call it he passed away? Because that feels better than saying he died. Or he expired. That sounds like a milk jug. Um, when I die, please don't say I expired. That, all right, so... <laughs> so... Um, On my tombstone, it's just going to say, Lee Snow, he expired. All right. Um, So we don't talk about suffering, especially sufferings like death and that sort of things. If the Bible were fake, it probably wouldn't hit on questions like this. Why is God allowing this to happen? It would frame God as the, the, the perfect in our minds, deity, that answers all of our questions, never leaves us hanging, exactly what paganism did. Romans chapter 1, right? They wanted an answer for everything. If, if, if they had a bad year in the harvest, it's because God was mad at them. If they did this, it's because God was mad at them. If they did that, God was mad at them. If the Bible were real, it wouldn't talk about these sorts of things. But it just, it just automatically assumes that everyone understands suffering is real. And so now that we know that suffering is real, let's talk about a person who suffered more than most people are going to in their entire lives in one day or at least a relatively quick amount of time because everything happens in one day in chapter one. But I'll give you $5 if you can tell me how much time elapses between the end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two. Because unless you know how often the angels go before the Lord to give an account... Uh, then you can't answer that question. We don't know how long this book takes at the beginning to get started for all of the suffering. 
But it just go ahead and assumes that everyone understands that suffering is happening. It doesn't answer any of those questions that we asked. In fact, it actually kind of, the book of Job has caused a lot of people to doubt because of those questions. Um, it just assumes it. And now that we understand that, let's go in to talk about this person who had this happen and what he learned from it. And to me, that, that just gives more insight into the, the, the beauty of the scriptures, that, that it is something that if, if we were going to write it, we'd make it prim and proper and everything would look perfect and it'd all be clean cut. And, but it's not. You, you read the Old Testament, it is much different than the Bible storybooks and the Bible classes we teach in the nurseries and that sort of thing, right? It, it, it has hard questions that we don't have answers to. It has suffering and pain and everything else. And it's just, God just assumes that we know that happens because we live on this earth and we know it happens. And so the Bible wants to talk about the tough things, not just make it all look pretty, right? So, All right, so the book of Job. Next week, we're going to go over Job 11 through 13, only three verses. Now, what we're going to do in that is we're going to go into, um, well, we're going to use Job's friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophat, Zophar, sorry. We're going to use those men to um, see what not to do when someone is grieving. Uh, because if you want a good picture of what not to say when you go to someone's house because their loved one just passed away, uh, just read the book of Job and do exactly what they didn't do. Uh, but we're going to go over chapters, chapter 2, verses 11 through 13 next week. And then we're going to cover chapter 3 through chapter, I think it's 27 in one week as well. So we're not hitting every verse in this book. We're getting the general concepts. Because like Wesley said yesterday or today, or today I guess it had, I don't know. He said Job is pretty tough because it's kind of just... Like, you can preach the whole book of Job in 30 minutes. So that's true. Um, so we're going to try to get the overall concepts of it. So, All right, any questions about the book of Job, at least so far as we've gone? Here's a little insight. I'll give you a, a, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a special surprise. I don't know what that surprise is because I'm making this up. But, um, but I will give it to you. If you can find the name of the constellation that is mentioned in the book of Job. Hint, hint. It is only found in one translation. And you've got to figure out which translation that is. That was a test on the book of Job in uh, Memphis School of Preaching by Curtis Cates. What's the name of the constellation that's mentioned in Job blank? I'm not going to give you the chapter. And it's only found in one translation that I did not use. Can you guess which question I did not get correct on that test? <laughs> I ain't telling you. I ain't telling you. I ain't telling you. All right, so you find it, and I'll give you something special. I don't know what it is. Maybe it'll be a used pen from the podium. Anyways, all right, let's go ahead and have a little break, and then uh, we'll get started with the invitation here in just a minute. Thank you all.